Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Oyster and the Pearl. I am Jennifer Dutt, the program director at Christiana Care. And today we are excited to have another episode in our partnership with the CORD Education Committee and the Subcommittee on Faculty Development. Today we are hosted by Sean Oldroyd, who is going to walk us through how to develop a culture of feedback along with some other esteemed members of the CORD community. So without much further introduction, let's just get into it. Everybody knows who I am and I just did the introduction, so we're good to go. (laughs) So we'll move on to Meryl. Hi everybody, I'm Meryl Pampolina and I'm an assistant professor at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. Hi everyone, I'm Mike Gisandi. I'm Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine and Vice Chair of Education at Stanford. Thanks for having me. Hi, Michael Stanley. I'm a faculty, core faculty for emergency medicine at Cuyah Health, uh, emergency medicine residency, and I am the transitional year residency program director. All right. And thank you to everyone for being here. The thing we want to talk about today is how we develop and promote a healthy culture of feedback within our programs and within our institutions. And I think we, feedback gets talked about a lot and we talk a lot about feedback techniques, but sometimes difficult to get to that point where everyone wants to do feedback, wants to give feedback and receive feedback and where it feels like a, a good culture of feedback. And so we're kind of taking one step back from from the practicalities of how to give feedback to how we promote that culture within our institutions. Everyone here has some involvement in that, uh, in their own programs and institutions. And so we're looking forward to hearing uh, everyone's experience. Yeah, so if I can just interrupt for a quick second. So when Sean and I sat down trying to figure out how we were gonna do this, we realized that when you've seen one feedback system, you've seen one feedback system similar to EMS systems and that you know we all have unique challenges in our own system. And so while there's nuts and bolts of feedback, like how you give good feedback, how you give bad feedback, and that seems to be very universal, the systems that we've all created tend to be very um, specific to our own institutions, but we were really trying to trying, uh, trying to find the underpinnings of more global things that kind of create these feedback cultures. And so we have all of you here because we think that you guys have all done a really good job or have something to add to this conversation um, to help uh, everyone else figure out how to start building or improving upon their own culture of feedback within their programs. We have kind of four fundamental principles that we want to discuss or uh, kind of focus our discussion around about creating this positive or healthy feedback culture. And so we're going to move through those four principles and then we'll kind of summarize them again at the end. And uh, we're going to let our panelists weigh in on those. So the first principle is that a healthy culture of feedback needs to start from the top. In medical education, we think a lot about providing feedback to our learners, and just as important and probably more important to developing that healthy feedback culture is being willing to receive feedback from those learners and providing that good example of what it looks like to ask for feedback and to receive feedback. This idea has been discussed more in the, in the business world and one of the popular books that came out recently, Radical Candor, which talks about business management, this is one of the prime ideas in that, that that managers and leaders should be receiving more feedback than they're providing. When we talk about establishing a a good culture of feedback within medical education, I'm curious from the panelists, you know, what you, how you see that as an important concept in developing that culture and within your institution. Um, So I think this question is really important and it really addresses two different things. One, how to 
create a culture change? And then two, how to address feedback as well. And I think both of those things intertwine really or like really cause like a good discussion. So one, creating culture change in general, like that requires a change in attitude and it requires a change in behavior. And oftentimes you need that leader who believes in that to show that so that the rest of the institution can follow. I've been listening to a lot of really great podcasts, but I listened to one recently and the speaker was Keith Ferrazzi. And something that he brought up was that leaders go first. And so they have to be the good role model and for people to follow and to understand why this feedback culture is super important and kind of lead that path for others, like I said, to follow um, in between. And then the other thing is, feedback in general, we all know it's really hard. And so by being a leader and requesting feedback, that not only shows that you're willing to take that route, but also that you're humble and and it shows your own humility as well, be up requesting that and hopefully opens the doors to, you know, your colleagues and to your residents to wanting to do the same thing. I'll build on that and say that you have to create a learning environment in which feedback is welcomed and understood by whichever party is delivering uh, and receiving the feedback. And I'll, I'll say that bi-directionality is really important. So um, it's very rare that you give peer feedback to, to a true peer, right? It's usually up or down the chain, which means there's always a power imbalance, which means there's always a vulnerable side to the, to the pair. So if you're on the side of power, right, we're talking about faculty um, asking for feedback themselves to, just to begin this relationship, this feedback relationship, it's very important to setting the psychological safety of the learning environment. Um, I think a safe learning environment is the one in which, um, uh, you know, a, a learner can, can again, receive feedback and, and hear it and understand it and process it well. If there's threats to psychological safety in the learning environment, it's hard to process any other information coming in because the cognitive load is dealing with the fact that you're unsafe. I'm curious what that looks like for you guys, though. Like, in, it's great to talk about, but what does it actually look like in practice, um, whether it's you or your faculty, like, you know, we have a faculty member that, um, and I don't know if you guys have the same faculty member, but he asked for feedback from all the residents and the residents are always like flustered and they're like, ah, ah, it was great. Right. Cause they don't know what to say, but they're all in my office, their six month review telling me how amazing it is that this one faculty member asked for feedback. Like how awesome is that? Right. And so even though it's this awkward moment to watch for everybody, it really has this really lasting impact. I have a very quick uh, trick I could share. I, you know, I usually set the stage at the beginning of a shift, particularly for medical students. I'll say, you know, we have an eight-hour shift. I want to go home at, at eight oh one that moment. So that's not when we're going to do our feedback. We're going to do it at, at hour seven. So just you know, get your forms or whatever it is that I have to fill out. And at hour seven, we'll step away from the cloak area. We'll um, how you did today. And when, when I go to do that, I often begin with, "Tell me how the shift went for you." And they think, well, oh, you know, this is, this is a process of like, how, you know, how could a student am I? And then I follow it up with what other ways could I have made today better for you? Right. So now they all of a sudden hear that, you know, the, the day was because of me, not because of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they do their eval. And then afterwards, I purposely ask them to go into the computer system and do one for me in our, in our med hub. Um, system because they'll never do it unless you ask them to do it. And I tell them, I want to get better. And I also want to get promoted and I need data points in my, my file. I just do. So I'd really like your, you know, your help uh, with that uh, for both, for both goals. And if you tell them the second part, they're really like compelled to do it. Like they want you to do, do well in your career too. Right. So, 
So, you know, they're more likely to complete the, the form, I, I feel. So, but if it's, I don't ask, it never happens. And I think, Mike, that sort of speaks to that, that uh, power dynamic you mentioned. It sort of, it carves away a little bit at that too. You know, that kind of like, hey, I, I, I need you too. You know, you, we don't exist as teachers without you here as learners and creates a little bit of that common purpose that we're all, we're all trying to get better. Well, and Mike, along, along those lines, I, I love, and, and that's the foundation of feedback too, is right. Setting the expectations up really early. I call it the road runner, like the residents running after me at the end of a shift with a shift card. And I'm like, I'm out of here. I've like tapped out after eight hours, but oh gosh, I was going somewhere with this. Sean, what did you just say? <laughs> we're talking <laughs> erasing the power dynamic a little bit yes. oh we really talk you know to our our residents that like we are getting better as teachers too so when I say to them like what do you want to work on today I and they're like oh, I don't know I want to be more efficient I'll say well today I want to work on staying out of your way in critical rooms like because that's something I tend to step on your toes or whatever I tend to I, so I put my learning goals out there too. Um, so that then they also have something to give me feedback on at the end of a shift as well. So it makes it a little bit easier for them too. I can say, how did I do with my goal and what could I have done better there? So that's another way it can flow both ways. Are there good ways to model this or to roll this out to faculty? I think, you know, people in, in program leadership, you get used to asking, you know, we get evaluations after every rotation and we look at, you know, all the formal stuff. And so we get used to kind of asking for that, but your, your other kind of day-to-day faculty members have, are there any good ways that people have found of kind of uh, in encouraging that, that behavior as well in them? I'll credit um, our assistant residency director, Holly Credit-Wire with this. This is her idea, but she basically broke our form down into what, what are now 23 entrustable uh, professional activities for emergency medicine. It's an area of research for her. And each EPA is just one very discrete action. And a faculty member can um, evaluate the resident on just that one action. So it's a very small form and it's done on your cell phone so you can dictate it. Just being able to dictate it has been wonderful. And I'll say much more than I would write normally. I think that um, I, I like what Michael said about the uh, that 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 early on, you know, discussion with, with the learners. Uh, I was asked once by one of the faculty outside of emergency medicine, one of the faculty from another another program. They asked me, how come the senior, some senior residents are not receptive to our feedback? Told them, I'm like, you know, it's all about rapport. And I think that that setting expectations up front, or I call it setting the table. I really like that you shared what you wanted to accomplish as a teacher that shift. That's a really cool thing that I'm going to actually add in to my approach. And I do that up front. And, and it's almost like, it's like the the teacher getting to know the learner and the learner getting to know the teacher and that rapport, that bond has now been set. And I've found that when you do that, it makes it so much easier at the end to send and receive feedback. It's one of those hidden things that really makes it safe. It, it builds a lot of the safety of that of that relationship and that teaching relationship. And, and I've seen people do it without it and with it. And it's like night and day. So I am a junior faculty member. And so I am also just trying to figure out how I want to practice and and teach others as well. One of the things that would really, that could really help in terms of getting the rest of faculty to really start buying into this culture and and buy-in is not necessarily a, a good term, but like really start acting in and just like working towards this culture is giving them what that vision is and what would maybe, what's the threat against the vision. So for example, I, every time I go into shift, I, what I try and do to my residents is we, we also do this thing where we set the stage, we ask them what their goal is, 
And we have specifics about that. And I think we'll get into that later. But at the end of shift, and during the shift, what I tell them is like, I'm still a young faculty member. I'm still trying to learn and figure out what my style is and how I need to teach you. Um, and so I am not perfect in that way. And so then in the end, what that does is it kind of lets them know that like, it establishes that growth mindset type thing right from the beginning and also helps with that um, open discussion and the relationship um, development that we talked about early on. If there is a way for like more, you know, the rest of the faculty to embrace that growth mindset and really like embrace that whole culture, I think that could be able to help with having other faculty as well wanting to start asking for that feedback because it helps with that discussion. So I think too, doing it in a very public place as leadership is really palatable. So I make it such a point to say to the learners, you know, what do you want to work on today? This is what I'm working on. I make sure it's almost near sign out. So everyone's around me. So everyone kind of hears it. I say it with the medical student, I say, I go around every single resident. It's like a little exaggerated. It's probably far more exaggerated than it needs to be. Um, but I, I feel like it then gives the people around me the permission to try it the next time because they're like, oh, okay, this is a thing. This is what's actually done. Um, I don't know if it actually works or not, but I like this idea of setting the table. I'm going to steal that because I like that better than setting the expectations. It's beautiful. So I think that you can't over exaggerate it enough. I mean, I've realized that there's a big signal to noise ratio problem. Right. And, and I, it made me, I started, you know, I was reading something about signal to noise and engineering and, and it kind of took me back to my first day as an intern, you know, in the ER. And I almost quit. I like, after I was like, I don't want to come back like this, that was insane. It was like a tornado. I didn't even know like what was going on. There's so much noise. And so I think we forget sometimes just how instinctive this becomes and how intuitive and, and we can see signals that they just can't see. So, uh, you know, like we've all experienced like, you know, giving feedback or teaching and people, and then somebody's like, Oh, I wasn't taught anything that day. You're like, well, I taught you the entire day. Uh, and I think it, it really speaks to the, they just can't see the signal, the noise. And I've found that the more I over-exaggerate like the, the show of it, they can grab onto that signal. It's funny. I'm like, Hey guys, I'm going to teach something, pay attention. And everybody like, kind of stops and looks and I'm like, okay, now they know that this is teaching, but it would have looked like an order or just me saying something, you know, cause I'm teaching like what I call rabbit mode where I'm just like telling them what and why. And so I think that's such a great thing to emphasize. In fact, um, it's my, one of my main teaching points when I go to other places and talk is it's just like, it's time for feedback or this is what we want to work on or what do you want to work on and make it very clear. Cause I want to teach you, <laughs> you know, what do you want to work on? Cause I want to teach you. This is an educational environment. Education is not, not an option here today. <laughs> Jenna, I'm curious, do you, do you share with your other faculty that the residents all love this one faculty member who asked for feedback? Hmm. I don't, but I should, <laughs> right? Like we should make more of a show of that, right? You know, yeah. everybody sees him do it. Like it's not, I mean, I've seen him do it and I'm always like, I love watching it go down because it's so awkward because the resident's like, oh, I don't know what to say here in this very public place. But, um, but he does make a show of it, but I will say that not a lot of people have jumped on board with that one. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's been hard. It's been hard. That two-way feedback, that power dynamic, is extraordinarily difficult to break down, but it really has to come from us um, saying it's okay and really, and not just saying it's okay, like really genuinely wanting the feedback. The thing that I, I like to talk to other, especially outside of EM, EM, 
I found to be a lot easier. Uh, like when I talk to our surgeons and I talk to like, you know, some of the, some of the ones who, who are, can sometimes be, you know, they're a little less familiar with, with a lot of this, um, based on, on their training. I talk about it from a peer system standpoint. And I, and I talk about how, like, what would happen in an airplane if there's no feedback in place or what would happen on a boat, right? Like a big ship. It's very clear what happens when they don't have feedback mechanisms in place. Planes crash, boats sink. To the point where I, I, I'm like, you know, I start there to see kind of like if they grasp it from a system standpoint, and then I start to work on the safety culture of it because I think that's absolutely critical. Also is it's like not really optional. Like feedback is so essential for a system to run and it, the top needs to have a lot of feedback coming in from multiple different places. So I will say if you are program leadership listening to this, start over-exaggerating your asking for feedback, do it in very public places so everyone can hear it. And if you are a faculty member listening to this, um, maybe you're starting to realize the extreme value in it and uh, maybe try and start putting yourself out there too in the same way. So I think we also, Sean, the next question, we've danced around it and we've talked a lot about it, but is setting this clear expectations for the foundations of feedback. And we've talked a little bit about it, but I know that uh, Michael has uh, something called a cheat sheet that he does with his attendings and residents. And I want to hear more about that. Back at, at Lehigh, I went to Lehigh, so I'm very familiar with Christiana. I, as an attending back there, I decided to try this exercise out where I took 10 of the attendings. And I, I had them think about their expectations and then um, I had them write them down, which took a long time. The metacognition, I underestimated, it took about nine months for them to like put together the, like their, the, what they like and what they don't like. Uh, and I made a little, um, a little uh, piece of paper that has the expectations on it. And then on the top of it, I had diagnosing the learner. Where is the learner? How many shifts have they done? What do they want to go into? Do they have any special degrees that I need to know about, like paramedic? Or do they have a PhD in biochemistry? What do they want and need to know on the shift, where they're going or where they want to go into? At the start of the shift, I would have them quickly write because it was very lo-fi. So I'd have them write down that part, cut off the top part. Um, and they got the bottom part, which had the attendees' expectations. And then the, the attending got the top part, which was what they wanted like their kind of thing. It really harmonized, synergized the, the, the two groups. Uh, and it made it easier for the teachers to target the teaching. And it really was a guide map for the, the residents. I mean, it, or the students, it made them very comfortable. They followed the stuff to a T and there was just general groups of areas. They put their expectations around. How do you generally want presentations? When you leave the department, what do you do? How do you, how do you want them to see another patient? Do you want them to ask you or just pick up the next one that's open? Those types of things. And so uh, I collected those and we did it and it, it worked really, really well. And it made it much easier for feedback at the end, right? Because it was a written version it almost forced the attendings to do some some self-reflection it's a lot harder when you start to like hold yourself accountable for like what you like and don't like when you start to put it on a paper you start to see inconsistencies with your own thought process i actually mm -hmm. love that it's lo-fi we started our feedback program lo-fi as well because it was a physical reminder of like this is, you know, you guys exchange pieces of paper, right? So it's like, exactly. it's, it starts that bi-directional piece of it in a very physical, palpable way that says, this is what we do here. So I think that's one of the, probably the, um, one of the most powerful parts about it. What do you think was so difficult for people when it came to really, because I, I think we all, all would think, oh, yeah, I know what I like. You know, I know how I like people to present patients and I know how I like to work up chest pain or whatever. And then when it came to actually writing it down, 
attendings had a lot of difficulty being clear in their expectations. So where do you think that came from? I realized that it was a lot of what we do is instinctive and, and intuitive. And, and it's really hard to like not have a context of a situation and try and extrapolate out like what we do. I had to think about scenarios and then extract principles that I've noticed I was doing across scenarios. Yeah. Another reason why getting our expectations onto paper can be so difficult is because we label things. Like we simplify things in our brain. We observe them and then we tell a story and then we simplify it because it's just easy for us to store. So us actually having to spit that back out onto paper can sometimes be very hard to spell out. Very hard. And that's not just for us as an attending, but that's also for our residents as well. I feel like I've had several residents tell me on shift, I want to be efficient today. But what exactly does efficient mean? Like, what am I watching for to know that you're being efficient? What does efficient mean to you? Because efficiency to me is completely different. So like really spelling that out and asking them, what exactly are you wanting to do or to act upon to make me know that I'm watching the right thing and giving you their correct feedback? And so it's really being intentional with what exactly their goal and their expectation is. And so that your two expectations align. I think your point's well taken, Meryl. It really comes down to our amygdalas, right? If we have two individuals with two amygdalas, and if the amygdalas like each other, then you know it's going to be easy to receive feedback and believe that it's important. If they don't like each other, you're going to dismiss it automatically, right? So you have to be aware of that, I think, and leverage it correctly um, in the ways you give feedback and the context and the rubrics that you use and the instruments that you use, um, all of that matters contextually, right? You have to find evidence for your learning environment that's, that, that means your processes are, are valid. And, and all of that leads from the human dimension part of this, which is, yeah. you know, we have, to, we have to trust in one another for that relationship to be um, fruitful. So now I'm curious about the other side of it. Do you, do you have good processes or any process at all to ask residents what their expectation is of faculty on shift? Well, I'm very clear in the resident evaluation of faculty that there are domains that they can't evaluate. Like they can't evaluate my patient care. They're learning to be a doctor. I mean, maybe they can, but they officially, they should not be uh, putting pen to paper and telling the dean how well I take care of patients. Now they can talk about my communication style, my professionalism, uh, my teaching ability, but there are certain domains that are, are off limits, I think. And um, I think that sets some expectations as well, right? You're going to expect a professional attending. You're going to expect good communication skills. You're going to expect teaching on every shift. Uh, but, you know, the rest of it is, is uh, I don't know, it's not their purview necessarily. And that could kind of, you know, that's good, right? Student evaluations of teaching, if the, the narrower they are, the better quality of feedback will be. All right. Well, that seems like a great spot to end our first part of the conversation about how do you develop a feedback culture. Today, we've talked about how feedback cultures start at the top and how we as leaders or even we as faculty really need to start asking for feedback and becoming receptive to feedback ourselves. We also talked about how setting clear expectations for both the learner and the attending are really the cornerstone of very solid feedback cultures. And we offered lots of tips and tricks on how to set expectations. And we all do it a little bit differently. And the more we can urge our faculty and ourselves to be clear about what we want and have the ability to communicate that to our learners, we'll also teach them how to communicate that back to us. 
So stay tuned for our second part when we pick up the conversation right where we left off and we talk about how consistency is a key factor. So stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks for tuning in today.